1: Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Mikel Del Rosario, Cultural Engagement Manager here at the Hendricks Center. And our topic on The Table podcast today is mental health and Generation Z. We're going to be talking about how uh, Gen Z has been affected by the pandemic, some mental health issues, and how uh, the church and people who work with youth can uh, better minister to people in Generation Z. And I have three guests who are joining me today, all via Zoom. This is actually my first time back in the studio in quite a while. Uh, First guest is Jonathan Morrow, who we've had on the show before. He is the Director of Cultural Engagement and Student Discipleship at Impact 360 Institute. Welcome.
2: It's great to be with you again.
1: Yeah, so good to have you back on the show. Um, And you have a a DTS Hendricks Center connection, that's right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So worked for the Center for Christian Leadership there in spiritual formation. And Loved my time there. It's phenomenal. And uh, yeah, big fan, Dallas Theological Seminary.
1: Awesome. Well, we're so happy to have you and uh, the work you're doing at Impact 360 is awesome. I have another guest on the show today coming to us also via Zoom. It's Jenny Wong. Jenny is a licensed professional counselor with the Lifeology Institute in Frisco, Texas. Welcome, Jenny.
3: Thank you. It's good to be with everyone.
1: Yeah, good to see you. Last time uh, you had... We had some kind of. I got to see you at a, an event. We did. It seems like a long, long time ago now, but I think it was just last year. Uh, right. You, you got to help us uh, help parents think about how to um, uh, be be better administering to their own children, their Gen Z children. So thank you. Thank uh, you. It was, fun. it was
3: fun. Next
1: person we have on is my friend Aaron Roy. Aaron Waller Roy is the area director with Intervarsity Christian Fellowship. Welcome to the show, Aaron.
0: Thanks for having me on, Michael.
1: Now Aaron's DTS connection is we once had coffee at the uh, coffee shop here, <laughs> <laughs> and she's my good friend from church as well. Well, today we're going to talk about Gen Z, and I want to start in the beginning just talking about how... Gen Z has been affected by the pandemic emotionally and spiritually. But first, I want to get a handle on on this demographic. So, Jonathan, you partnered with the Barna uh, research group on a study that was all about Gen Z. Could you help us understand the demographic that we're talking about today? How would you describe them in general terms?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, for those of you not familiar with Gen Z, Gen Z is the generation after millennials. So, right now, Gen Z is Probably wrapping up college, like that age, kind of that 1999-ish, you know, birth all the way through, and so basically, if you have a current teenager in the home, if you have uh, a preteen in the home, all the way through, kind of finishing up college, kind of that age range right there is Gen Z, and so um, yeah, so that's that's the generation we're talking about. So we we studied that with with the Barnum Group and. And uh, really, kind of looking at what what's shaping them and how they're unique and different in ways than millennials, um, in different ways. And I know the millennials are all thankful that people are talking about someone else now, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it's like, thanks. (laughs) You know, so no, but it's 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 a blast because. You know, every generation is, we have to pay attention. We're wanting to give our faith to the next generation, we want to disciple the next generation. And so we want to care about what's shaping them, their, not only their worldview, but also the topic of today and their, their emotional and mental well-being and everything else like that. And health. So, yeah, so that's the broad category for people watching.
1: Some people have called them uh, similar to millennials in all but optimism. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, millennials tend to be probably a little more idealistic, and I think um, Gen Z tends to be a little more pragmatic. Hmm. So I think that I think that's fair. I think uh, from a worldview standpoint, they're, um in terms of even biblical categories and worldview, they've they're they're farther from even kind of orthodoxy and biblical worldview than than their millennial older brothers and sisters in that regard. Um, and things like that. So I think I think those are some of the trends for lots of different reasons. Uh, but in terms of kind of that general outlook, I think you see Gen Z as a lot more pragmatic and kind of okay, uh, realistic a little bit than 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 probably some. You know, it's always generalizations than than their millennial counterparts.
1: Yeah. Well, we're going to put a link to the uh, uh, study. Uh, on, the, on the webpage so people can check out that state. So we're gonna come back to these things um, a little bit later on in the show. But d- over the summer, Daryl Bach and I did a uh, kind of an apologetics workshop with, with some high school students over a period of weeks. And one thing that I asked is to, de- I asked them to describe how are you feeling right now? And a number of them said very fragile, more fragile than usual, overwhelmed, exasperated. And I want to ask Jenny, I want to ask you, um, you know, even before the pandemic, Gen Z was characterized as uh, people who are suffering from some of the highest rates of anxiety. Um, the National Institute of Health says one in three teens will experience anxiety or some kind of anxiety disorder. Uh, what are some of the things that you feel are contributing to this um, even before the pandemic?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Let me just add to that, I I see that in my own practice. I've been practicing um, for probably about 15 years now, um, graduated from DTS with biblical counseling. And I have seen that increase in my own practice of uh, teenagers with anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I think there's multiple factors. Um, You know, I have to start out with saying that we're probably a reason. And when I'm talking about Mm -hmm. we, I mean, us parents. Mm I have four kids. I have kids from the age of five to 15. So I have, you know, they're all Gen Z, um, plus a lot of my clients are. Um, I, you know, I think part of it is that we haven't really learned how to deal with our stress very well. And so we um, project that in our families, you know, and, and the way that we um, kind of raise our kids. Um, maybe I think our households are uh, more stressed more stress these days um, with all the, all the things that we juggle um, at home. And so, uh, you know, I think if parents are able to kind of deal with their stress, it can help the kids as well, learn how to, you know, work through that as well. Definitely another one I would say is social media. Hmm. I mean, there's just not just social media, but just information, just all the information that's out there. Um, And I think, um, you know, there's, fomo the fear of missing out you know constantly on your phone um you know with friends and you're you don't want to miss out on anything um there's the whole you know self-image like how do i present myself i feel like everything that we show on social media is all the good all the good parts right Mm -hmm. all the quote-unquote perfect parts so i feel like i need to be that all the time um you know, plus the pressures, I work in Frisco, so a lot of my clients are very high achieving. <laughs> so plus the pressures, I think, of school and, um, you know, what I have to have on my, um, on my re- well, it's not resume, but on my college applications and all of that. Um, so there's multiple things. There's probably even more that, you know, to add on to that list.
1: So how is the the pandemic added to that?
3: Um, Well, I think one of the things, so let me just kind of add all of this together. I think one of the things is um, for us as parents, and I'm including myself, I have to kind of watch myself sometimes. We expect the same things Mm -hmm. pre-pandemic than post-pandemic, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, and not realizing that when we're isolated from our friends, um, when we're at home, when, when things are changing so much that our kids are not going to achieve as much as maybe they did before, even, even before it was stressful, it's even more stressful now. Mm. Um, so I think that's part of it for kids, uh, for, for Gen Z. Um, and I think another part is that the isolation, you know, the loneliness, I know there's been a lot of articles about, um, about having to be apart from their support groups.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Aaron, how have you seen uh, in your ministry, the, the pandemic impacting Gen Z on campus?
0: Yeah, I can speak a little bit to the spiritual impact. I think, Jenny, that's a a great summary of the emotional impact for a Mm. lot of students. I think spiritually, um, what I'd say generally before the pandemic is that students are probably at their spiritually least healthy (laughs) when Mm. they depart from the rhythms such as they are that they've set up Um, at college. That might be a local church they're connected to. That might be a campus ministry or Bible study, Christian friends. Mm. Um, So I see students go home over Christmas break they're excited for some rest. When they come back, you know, they feel like they have to rebuild their lives again. Hmm. Well, if you take that scenario and then you send students home unexpectedly in the middle of the year for five months, um, we had a lot of conversations just about daily life rhythms. How do you you get reconnected to your home church or stay connected to the church you were in college? Are you going to be willing to get up and go to Bible study when it's another Zoom call on a day that's already been really full of Zoom calls? Will you choose to still connect with community even in ways that feel unsatisfying compared to what you had access to when you were on campus? How will you deal with um, parental relationships and family relationships in places where there might be strain? For some students, going home was a really, um, you know, was a welcome place to be. And for some students, that's a hard place to be. Um, So I think we saw just a lot of spiritual challenges and kind of a winnowing out of which students were going to be willing and able to press in in some of the ways they were pre-pandemic to prioritizing their relationship with with Jesus in college. And I think it's a time of incredible stress, Um, a lot of opportunity for discipleship, Mm -hmm. but incredible pressure on students to still finish out the semester and now to come back and do a great job when all around them. Is their school going to close? Are things going to be able to continue as normal? Um, and some of the trends of isolation that we were seeing and concerned about long before the pandemic for this generation have been, I think, exacerbated mm-hmm. um, by, the, by the effects of being away and then being back maybe on campus now, but not in the same way that yeah. they were before March.
1: Yeah, Jonathan, what are you seeing in your ministry? You you work with uh, students before college as well as college students. How have you seen uh, that affecting each of those groups?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So at Impact Three Hundred and Sixty, we have a, a nine month you know Christian gap year, and so we have eighteen to twenty year olds who are on our campus, and so a lot of things Aaron was talking about in terms of going home, reentry, coming back from parents. That's a that's a big thing. Like, well, okay, I just I just moved out, sort of, and now I've got and you know, I'm starting to figure out who I am and who I'm becoming. And what, what my rhythms are gonna be now I have to go back and re-entry into that world, but all that. And so one of the things I think I'm seeing is kind of kind of twofold is one, obviously some of the fragility, some of those things that that you guys have already mentioned, all obviously all the social media, the isolation, the disruption, the disillusionment, the disappointment with things that aren't happening that they were expecting to happen, everything from sports to plays to, you know, getting together at church in different ways or whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of disappointment, but then there's an opportunity side to that of 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 amazing resilience. And this is the piece where I think we have to be kind of balanced in how we kind of cast vision because the Lord is not surprised um, by 2020. And, you know, Acts 17 reminds us that, you know, the times and the places are determined by the Lord so that we might seek him. And so, you know, this is their moment to be resilient disciples and follow Jesus um, and this maybe is not what they picked, but how, what does it look like for me today to follow Jesus and seek the truth and grow and engage and, you know, because we've, we've been able to do some of those things, engage in spiritual conversations, still talk to people with lost, engage You know, that looks a little different, but still do those things. Right. And so, um, and so there's excitement, there's energy around those things. And so kind of both of those things together of, okay, how are we caring well for them Um, are they able to talk and process, but also we're still calling them to something. We're still calling them to grow. And and all of us who care about youth and the next generation, you know, there's, it's just such a unique season where God does so much, not only in your life, but also uses you in ways that older generations can't have certain conversations or go certain places in different ways, typically. And so kind of trying to balance both of those factors together. And so that's kind of one of the things we're seeing here at Impact 360. Uh, Proud of the students, but also trying to be mindful of kind of how you doing process. What are the things, are are there any release valves we can give while at the same time still casting vision for moving forward in the future? So trying to balance those two together.
1: Mm-hmm. Are there new kinds of spiritual conversations that you see students wanting to have or in terms of how you prepare them to explain their faith to others? Uh, how has that been in- impacted?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I think one of the things that we always try to do is we always try to equip them to ask good questions in every conversation, obviously, and have clarity if they have the opportunity to share the gospel. So clarity around what the gospel is. And i found, as we've talked about it, you know, there's never been a better time to talk about things of eternal value in life that people are just awake to or listen to or, or right or wrong or justice or that's not right or that's not good and, and how God might play into that. So kind of framing some of those conversations a little differently, um, just helping them navigate and ask questions. Um, hey, how can I pray for you? That's, he can ask that question. And then all of a sudden, 20 other things may come out and then you're off into a different conversation with either a family member or a friend or roommate or somebody else and so or somebody on campus or on a different experience and so I think the questions some of them are the perennials that are always still there you know where is God in the midst of things that are disappointing for me in my life and or purpose and where does everything looks different for me now how do I navigate that so I think some of those things um some of the existential kind of questions are are definitely forefront but but again also hey is it true What's the good news where's our hope ultimately rooted in the resurrection in the risen Jesus right so mm-hmm. he's he's risen that's not changing how do we then live that out at uh, this moment that we're in so I think framing framing around that as we as we engage and we equip them to engage
1: Aaron when you're on campus how much of a spectrum do you see between students who are just super isolated and say you know people say like I feel like I'm a prisoner in my dorm and then others who are like, I'm so over this pandemic thing and the college parties are going on. Um, How much of a, a split do you see in your ministry about how people are responding that way?
0: Yeah, I think the kind of critical part of your question is the seeing. There are students that we will not see because of being on either kind of far end of that spectrum. So I would say that a lot of the fringe members that have been part of our Christian communities on campus, we're hoping to influence We're excited that they're in the room, even if they aren't maybe yet fully engaged, might fall into that first category you mentioned of, you know, I'm taking another step back from social engagement or, you know, financially or personally, they've had to take a physical step back from campus, right? They may have stayed remote this semester and not come back at all. Um, But you're right, the other end of the spectrum is people who are pretty, (laughs) pretty over COVID (laughs) and pretty over the experiences having on their, on their campus. And I think you see probably those two extremes um, a lot in the media. I'd say the more of what I have actually seen on campus is is in the middle. Um, I've actually been really impressed with the the seriousness with which students have taken the precautions that they're they're asked to make. I'm um, on SMU's campus fairly often and seeing you know driving by, seeing students walking alone outdoors with masks on. You know, so mm-hmm. choosing to engage in that kind of level of, of care, even even when they're on their own. Um, And I'd say the students who, again, are willing to take those risks for community, um, because it is a risk, like as we gather together in person, and it's also a risk um, to spend the time that they could take to dig into their studies and try to get ahead in some of the ways Jenny was pointing out, um, for those students to risk spending that time with Jesus instead, spending and investing that time in Christian community. Um, We have students this week at SMU doing outreach in person on campus and also on Instagram, and those are risks um, that students are still called to take um, for the gospel, even as they're balancing these uh, safety questions, <laughs> the, the COVID fatigue questions, and of course, like the election and all of the tension that's kind of looming mm-hmm. in their worlds.
1: Mm-hmm. Jenny, what are you seeing as you talk to teenagers about how they're processing? Um, I know a lot of Gen Z students are angry right now. Um, where's that anger being directed towards? Um, mistrust of of authority figures. How's that all play into what you're seeing in the counseling room?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking through. I mean, I I have high school students and college students, um, and you know, my counseling practice. I would say the majority actually are not Christians, so maybe I can speak a little bit into um, the non-Christian. Uh, hmm. Gen Z, um, because I would love for, you know, people to reach out to them, (laughs) um, you know, in their, in their anger, you know. Um, Yeah, they're, um, I will say, you know, I I have students who are in leadership positions in college, and they're having to tell other students to wear their masks, and that's a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. for, for, for a peer um, to, to have to do. I have client, clients who are, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the anger has more to do with like the, a lot of the division that we see, right? Uh, social justice issues, things like that. Um, and so as a counselor, I, I had a, a friend of mine, a, a peer of mine who said, a, c- a colleague who said, you know, our society is so focused on self-care, um, but really what we're needing is community care. Um, and I definitely see that with, um, you know, I, I'm hearing I'm like a little bit envious of the ministries because they have groups around them. I think a lot of non-Christian um, Gen Zs, they, they tend to be a little bit more isolated. It's hard to find that group, um, uh, especially during this this difficult time. I don't know if I answered your question at all, but I'm just thinking <laughs> about my clients and, and, you know, what you guys are sharing, and um, I would love for, for there to be that kind of um, outreach for mm-hmm. people who are struggling. And I think that, you know, my demographic is very different because my the Gen Z, um, clients that I see are ones that are struggling with anxiety, mm-hmm. are ones that are struggling with depression. Um, and, um, so I think when you talk about that anger, um, you know, depression, anxiety, there's some cognitive distortions there, which means that there's, um, you know, automatic negative thoughts that we're working through in the, in the counseling office um, and in our sessions. Um, and they're needing, they're needing community. They're needing people to kind of help them see that there are, you know, beautiful things out there. And there are people who, um, you know, want to spend time with them and wanna be in community with them and wanna share love with them. And I hope God's love with them as well. Um, I kind of went off on a tangent. <laughs> I apologize for
1: that. That's all right. Uh, would you say that the the anger that you're seeing is directed more towards the government, towards parents, other authorities, or just the whole situation? And How, how are they uh, directing that anger?
3: Yeah. Um, can I say all of the above? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I would probably say, I mean, my theory of counseling—you're going to have me kind of go on another tangent. My theory of counseling is, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is that everything we get with our thoughts. I do think that that's very, um, you know, for Christians, we can look at the Bible and and challenge those automatic negative thoughts right into the truth and, and what the word says and what God says about our worth and our value and his love for us. Um, but the other part of my, um, counseling theory is something called attachment theory and attachment theory has to do with connection and especially connection with, um, our primary caregivers and how that translates. Um, in the future with those that we are in relationship with. So, I mean, I think it all connects together in terms of, okay, is anger directed towards government or parents or, you know, um, well, I think it's all connected. I I would have to have a, um, so when they say that they're angry at the government, um, I need to dig a little bit deeper and say, where does that disconnect come from, right? Is it something to do with, you know, a, a hurt that you have, a pain that you have from your childhood or from growing up. Um, well, let's work through that, you know. Um, yeah, so I, I see it like a client might come in with a, what we call a presenting problem. Okay, you know, we're talking about anger specifically. I'm angry with um, society at large. Um, well, there's a deep pain there that's connected to. So hmm. I, I hope yeah. that answered your question, yeah.
1: Yeah, lots lots to think about. It's, it's very complicated. Uh, uh-huh. I have a Gen Z kid myself, and uh, yeah, we're all trying to figure it out right now. There's there's no textbook on how to parent through a pandemic like, right. like with your Gen Z student. Uh-huh. Um,
2: yeah, and each personality is different too, right? Because I mean, mm-hmm. parenting is so it's like one might respond in one way, and this, the same thing is not going to be helpful to another. Exactly. And that's, that,
3: that's... <laughs> that is such a great point, and especially if your child has anxiety. You know, you you want to tell your child to toughen up, but that's not necessarily what they're needing. They they need those steps. They need you to walk with them in terms in helping them to take those steps of working through their anxiety. Um, that's a that's a great point. Yeah. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, "If you're a Christian, you
2: have to vote Republican."
4: Huh. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com.
1: Oh, there's a couple of ways we could go here. There's so much to think about um <laughs> let me let me ask Jonathan this, and then I want to come back to to the comment that you just made. um Jonathan, there's a millennial pastor who who tried to connect the two generations and and kind of see what's different and he says that for him, being a millennial pastor in a Gen Z. Ministry he feels like for his um, for his generation they needed to be told um, that no you can't actually fix the whole world and that you are you you do have weakness but he feels like the Gen Z uh, people need to be told uh, that they can be strong what do you think about that
2: yeah it's a good question um, so yeah I I think generally speaking, I mean, I think, I think some of the idealism, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, let's change the world, but let's also wash the dishes and clean up after ourselves along the way. You know, <laughs> there's, 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 there's a millennial, you know, I mean, and again, that's a negative thing. It's all of us, but there's a step of mm-hmm. only really big visible things matter for the Lord mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, if I didn't build a own nonprofit, start my own platform did, if I didn't accomplish all these big visible things, I haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, there's some of that obviously. And then, and then obviously you've got, kind of the celebrity activism kind of piece in terms of Instagram influencers or YouTube celebrity or whatever that might be. So there's a lot more of that. And even those are starting to shift um, in how people see things. Um, but I think, I mean, my experience with students and maybe it's just some of the students that were around here is, is I do I do see a lot of strength. What I, I would in passion, but there's not as much clarity. I think there's more confusion about what to aim it at. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, I think there's, um, if I was going to put underneath it, I think there's a crisis of knowledge. We don't talk about that. That's kind of the under the surface kind of thing, where I don't think many people think there's really moral and spiritual knowledge anymore. Mm -hmm. And because they make that assumption, things about purpose, right and wrong, goodness, all of those things, those are left to kind of, well, just do what you feel. You do you, you've got this cultural relativism, all this stuff. So. You have people running to go do good quote unquote in all sorts of different directions and they're slamming into one another and then so you've got those elements and so you have the idealism the pragmatism now you throw a global pandemic on top of that in this coming of age season and so i think you're seeing them strong in some ways and really hesitant in others for example i'll I'll make one example there's a big difference between being judgmental and making evaluations Nobody, I mean, none of us, no one I know, uh, students, hey, wakes up in the morning, can I be please be judgmental and self-righteous today? No, <laughs> one, no one does that, right? And yet, there's a real hesitance to offend. There's a real hesitance to evaluate because mm-hmm. tolerance is seen as agreement in our culture, and that's just not true. Tolerance is giving people the right to be wrong about things and then talking about those things. The strength in those conversations isn't happening as much for a lot of reasons, the social media, all of those kind of things in terms of the way people kind of come out, come after different people. So you see hesitance to be strong on the things that really, really matter, but you see strength in kind of this, well, this is who I am, this kind of self-definition piece, which is real subjective. And that could be a really good thing or it could be a really not so good thing, you know, according to God's good design for flourishing and all that or not. And so you see this strange mix of kind of hesitancy and strength. And I almost wish they were flip-flopped where they were a little more hesitant on the self-perception identity pieces, you know, especially as a as a teen. Look, I mean none of us had it figured out at the teenagers. We're all starting to figure it out. <laughs> you, you figure out new things at different stages about your identity. I would love to see a little less confidence there in terms of assertions about who I am for the next sixty years. And a little more increase of confidence about what is good, what's true, what's beautiful, Mm. what's right, what's wrong, what I'm called to do objectively and lean into that. So I think in in discipleship, I think that's a real gift we can give to Gen Z is helping them spend time wrestling with those internal questions, but also saying, you know what, you can be confident in the direction of these. Mm -hmm. And this is where a lot of fulfillment, meaning, purpose and goodness and hope is going to come when you live that out and you don't have to wonder about these core things. And so
1: um,
2: that's kind of a broad way to answer your question, but that's how I would chart, I would kind of parse some of those things out, if that makes sense.
1: Hmm. Aaron, how are you on your campus ministry encouraging students nowadays in terms of how did you guys have to pivot in terms of uh, the messaging and, and how do you help people spiritually?
0: Um, like we pivoted in every way possible. <laughs> I mean, you guys are all parts of churches and ministries, so you, you know nothing feels the same. Um, as it was six or seven months ago. Um, I'd say the biggest uh, pivot I've seen is um, an increased desire to use and redeem social media in this season, um, particularly Instagram. So Instagram just feels like a much bigger part of my world as a campus ministry practitioner than it did six months ago. So recognizing that students aren't going to wander down a hall in a student center and peek into a room, see an event, hear the music, see that these people like each other, maybe wander through the door. Instead, they're going to see our Instagram stories. They're going to see a peek into the ministry that happens that way. And so we've had to become a lot more um, self-conscious, I think in good ways, about how we represent um, our ministry, how we represent our hope in Christ through social media, um, and how do we encourage students to engage well with their peers where their peers are. Uh, which in this season is more um, online and is more in those spaces without our students falling into some of the traps that Jenny was um, laying out. Right. Social media has a huge impact on this generation Mm -hmm. and how they see themselves and others. So how do we have our student leaders on Instagram, maybe daily sharing about the work we're doing within our varsity, inviting people into that community, creating a hospitable presence where people can engage Um, without then also going down this vortex of their own social media usage Mm -hmm. and managing um, perceptions of themselves. I think there's also been a shift. So as much as, I mean, we're we're an evangelical organization, we're oriented towards outreach. Like as Ginny describes her clients um, who don't have Christian community, I I long to be in their lives, you know, long to make that available to them. But at the same time, we're trying to focus on who, who are the students who are coming? How do we be faithful to discipling and developing the students who are learning to stay the course in this pandemic? Um, I think a lot of that has been um, a, a trend we've been on the last few years, but an increasing um, way to help students look at spiritual disciplines and what are the, what are the building blocks of their daily life and walk with Christ and um, I actually found one of my most enjoyable aspects of being a minister during the pandemic was I felt like I got to talk about students' real lives with them at um, a deeper way than I had been, say, like in February <laughs> to March, because now we are talking about things like how are, how are you using your cell phone? Are you reading the news? Like is, is the news the last thing you're reading before you go to bed? Is Instagram the last place you are before you go to sleep? How do you carve out space even there for prayer how do, you, how do you set healthy limits to yourself to say, I probably need to check on the global pandemic once today, and I might not need to check on it 15 times? And those are conversations I long to have with students in normal times, but the pandemic and I think students' awareness of their own spiritual and emotional needs give a lot of opportunity um, mm-hmm. for having those conversations. And I think pivoting into talking more about spiritual disciplines, more about how are we walking daily with Christ? Um, has been a really important part of how our our ministries have responded differently now um, than we were a year ago. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, those are really practical things that we can take away from uh, how you're now engaging with students. Um, Sometimes social media gets a bad rap for just all the negative stuff, you know, and, and rants and uh, fear of missing out and all that. And certainly even today there's that going on where, where students are comparing themselves to how come how come these people are like hanging out at a party all by them, you know, by themselves and no masks and whatnot and, and we're doing this with our family. So there's that. But then there's also the positive ministry side that you guys are able to to do. So that's amazing. I want to come back to Jenny, I wanted there are so many things that you said that I wanted to come back to, but let me just pick up one of these things. Um, in terms of our messaging now um encouraging people to be strong giving them hope in Christ um there was a college professor who there at their school they said hey um the exams are going to be optional at this point but it's up to the prof and so the prof sent out this email that was like when this pandemic is over you have to be able to look back and say i was strong and so we're not going to cancel our exams in this class yeah. Well, apparently, he had caused so much so much anxiety with that particular email. He had to take it back and apologize for for what he had he had written because it just caused so much anxiety amongst his students. So, my question is: is it ever harmful to tell someone to be strong?
3: Mm, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about what. Um, who is it that wrote, uh, uh, the the grace-based parenting, um, Tim Kimmel, Tim Kimmel. That's right. You know, uh, thinking about uh, just his stories about when he prayed with his kids, um, you know, I took, I've taken that with my children as well. Um, you know, to pray that God would help you be strong. Right. Um, and I, I think like, I don't think it's, I think that yes, it can be harmful, um, to, you know, tell, our kids sometimes, um, to be strong when, if they take it as an, I need to be strong, my own strength, (laughs) Mm. like it's up to me because I'm feeling, if I'm feeling anxious right now, if I'm feeling, um, like I can't cope with things right now. I, um, I have a child who has panic attacks. Um, and when he's having a panic attack, you know, I start getting panicky. So really it's my own anxiety, right? I start getting like, I, even as a counselor, sometimes I feel like I'm overwhelmed. Like, how do I help him? Um, My natural, my natural automatic thing that I want to do is to tell him, you can do it. Like, you can be strong. Mm -hmm. Like you can do what it is. You, You know, but I know that I need to work through my own anxiety, take a deep breath, tell him, let's pray about this together um, you know, pray that, you know, God will help you through, but then help him with his coping techniques, help him breathe, you know, just Mm -hmm. tell him one step at a time. Um, he knows if he goes outside, that helps a lot. Like if I can give him the tools and take him one, you know, he's little still, he's still, um, you know, a young child. Um, if I can help him, then I know that he's, it's my strength, right? I, that's the thing. I, I think if I can share anything with our, um, with our viewers, it's that as parents, as leaders, as adult leaders, um, we're the ones. We're our strength is what our kids are needing to lean on during this time. Um, our strength in and God in God in Christ, right? Um, like and obviously. Um, that they, that they don't have the tools right now as young kids or young adults. Their brains are still developing. What they say up until age 25, we are their leaders that, um, that God has placed in their lives. We are the ones that can help them. One of the biggest things that I can tell my teen clients is you're not alone.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Right, I'm, I'm with you in this. Um, yeah. So I think if the message is you need to be strong on your own, then mm-hmm. I think that can be difficult and hard mm-hmm. and damaging. But if the message is, um, you know, let's pray for God's strength in you, or I'm here, you're not alone, then I think that can, that is supportive. And that mm. is, um, yeah.
1: That's good. Yeah, I think we do need to balance that. There, there's a realism that comes from admitting your weakness, but the call to be strong, not in your own strength, but with the Lord. Um, that That's a whole different thing, right? So Paul can tell the Corinthians, I, I boast in my weakness, but he can also say, stand firm in the faith be courageous right, That's um, right. and we yes. need the strength yes. of the Holy Spirit really to to yeah. do this it's yeah it's just not something that we can we can do on our own what yeah, are some... you can
2: be courageous and still have you know you know you know be afraid of something right so I mean <laughs> mm-hmm. both of those can coexist in the same way that you know that you know that Jenny was talking about and, mm-hmm. and so anyway
1: Yeah, no, that's a a really good point as well. Yeah. If Um, if
0: I can add on to that, Mikkel, am I allowed to interrupt you and add on to that? Um, (laughs) I would just say this has felt like such a unique time in ministry because instead of leaning on the things that God has done in our own lives um, in the past, you know, I'm I'm helping students walk through something I walked through as a college student, you know, however many years ago, I'm now helping students walk through something that I'm also walking through Mm -hmm. live. I'm helping my staff walk through something that's live for me. It's not... Like I have, you know, <laughs> cope with pandemic, checked off my to-do list, <laughs> and now I can help others. But I think that that's a, a posture of Christian humility, mm. in which we get to lead to say, not, you know, th- these things were helpful to me a decade ago, but these things are helping me right now. Mm-hmm. i need to, I need to read the news less often and pray more often. And then that's why I'm encouraging you to do that. And I think um I've seen students really, I think students really, enjoy getting to hear the realness of our own lives and walks with Christ in this season. And that we were impacted by these things too. We're struggling with these questions too. And the, the kind of strength that Jenny is talking about is coming out because we're engaging with the Lord and because he's meeting us and he is providing for us in this season.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does give us a, the opportunity to come alongside and say, we're going through this together. And let's ask let's ask the Lord to help us because we're we're all dealing with it in different ways um, as parents, as students, teenagers. Jenny, how can you uh, give advice to uh, churches um, who want to better partner with mental health professionals? Because um, there are some things that that pastors, youth pastors, recognize they just don't have the the clinical expertise um, to handle. So, how would you encourage a, a church to to? be more uh, proactive about partnering with mental health professionals?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you so much for asking, asking it. So, you know, here in Frisco, we, we have partnered with Stonebriar. Stonebriar, I think, might be actually a great church to uh, example because they, um, I think it was last year, last year seems so long ago, seems like five, ten years ago, mm. but um, last year they, they had a luncheon um, for just area counselors um, and they, you know, they just kind of said out there that they wanted to partner with um, ther- with the therapists in the area, um, mm-hmm. and I, you know churches definitely are front lines. I, if you don't mind me sharing a story, um, this kind of sh- showcases um, the strength of this kind of partnership between churches and and uh, and therapists. Um, I had a young ch- young teen who um, Stonebriars uh, realized was having some difficulties and some struggles in life um, and um, I saw her for you know a, you know maybe six or eight sessions that the church um, paid for so that's another way that churches could come alongside is that they have a fund that can help their um, mm-hmm. their congregation with um, therapy costs and um, you know I saw her for a few sessions um, and you know they went fine she got the tools that she needed um, and then and then you know a year later, she was able to tell her parents, "I'm struggling right now, you know, with the pandemic. Um, I think I need to go see Jenny again, um, you know." And after the session, she was like, "You know, I can tell that I'm more ready for therapy than I was last year." She, you know, she she was asked to go by the church. They saw some struggles, but it wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. her choice. But this time, it was her choice, mm-hmm. um, and to be able to see, you know, I can ask for help, you know, when I'm struggling, um, and and that, you know, I have leadership. I have um, church leaders who will support that for me, um, I think, is, uh, is one of the joys that I have, you know, um, in, in what I do. So I would love for more area churches to, um, to be able to partner with Christian therapists that they trust um, and that they, um, that they have a partnership with, that, they, that we meet together regularly um, so that they know that, um, you know, we're not sharing anything that they don't want us to share.
1: Yeah. But, and can campus ministries and other parachurch groups do that as well?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm sure that a lot of them do. Uh, I also have some, um, some clients who have come through parachurch organizations. Um, yeah.
1: Well, our time is, is rapidly getting away from us. I got about five minutes left. Um, let, let me le- leave us with this question. I'll have each one of you respond to this. How can parents and adults who work with Gen Z or parents of Gen Z students, how can we help them cope with uncertainty and anxiety? Just some really, really practical tips. Uh, let me start with uh, Jonathan.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think a couple of things, and I think this is just a good principle in general, especially all of us who work with other students or in a ministry or a church context or a campus ministry or counseling, um, as a parent, sometimes we forget to have the lens that we would have if somebody else came and asked us the same question that wasn't in our immediate household. Hmm. How might we respond to them without all the context and the and so meaning like if a student came to me and was struggling with x y or z, what questions would I ask and how would I relate to them? Would I be gracious and kind? As a default, why? Right? Because they're a student, there's somebody I'm trying to minister to. Yet sometimes in our own families, we kind of skip that step of, of kind of that initial lens of, of kindness and awareness, um, or even objectivity. Sometimes, I mean, I'll admit it as a dad, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm close to this, I care about this. Yet at the same time, you know, if a parent is watching this, it's good to say, just because my son or daughter is coming to me with a question or a doubt or an insecurity or an anxiety or something like that, it doesn't mean um, that everything is falling off the way. I just need, how are you doing? Tell me about that. Say more about that. Draw them out. You know, tell me about, say more about that. Tell me more is a great question. And just until they kind of keep talking. And so kind of that framing, because in, in our, and then I'll be quiet. Cause I know there's other great wisdom that you guys have more on this to me. And so is, but I think it's so easy sometimes because parents are so close,
1: mm-hmm.
2: they don't see it the same way as if they kind of stepped out of themselves a little bit and said, okay, well, if my, if my best friend's son or daughter came over and asked me the very same question or was struggling with the same thing, how would I relate to them? And I think that's just a good mindset shift to sometimes, you know, look at some of these
1: things. Yeah, no, that's a good advice. It comes to you not during office hours, right? It comes to you at eleven o'clock at night when your your son or daughter wants to wants to talk to you, and you're like, I'm in the middle of something right now. But um, <laughs> how, how would you approach that if if that was somebody who came to you during your your quote unquote ministry time, right? Um, Aaron, what would you say?
0: Oh, it's a good question, Mikkel. Um, I think. For me, I think the bedrocks are coming back back to the basics um, with students. My own son is a toddler, so I can't, I can't speak to uh, the parenting from that perspective. But I know with students, um, one of my best moments of the semester was sitting down with a student at Baylor, who I'm coaching, um, and saying, you know, I'd love to spend some time in scripture together today. And she said, I was really hoping we would do some Bible study. Hmm. And that just pierced my heart, right? That I have all these practical things I want to talk to her about to help her succeed. And thought, no, I need to prioritize that we spend time together in Scripture and that that's the place that we're coming back to um, as we do ministry and as she learns to walk with Jesus in this season. And um, so I'd say coming back to those basics, how can I be praying for you? Um, where where can we be in Scripture together? Even in simple, basic, <laughs> basic ways. It wasn't a fantastic, in-depth Bible study that day. But the very act that we're going to come back to the Lord with mm-hmm. the things that are on our plates, I think, is... Um, how I've been served in this season and how I, I hope to serve others.
1: Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, Jenny, how would you respond?
3: Yeah, I love all our answers. They're all going to be so different. <laughs> mine, mine will be what specifically with anxiety is to move your body. <laughs> um,
1: Good point.
3: To, Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, and it's neat. You know, I think about David dancing, you know, worshiping God. I think a lot of times we're so in our head when anxiety is actually a very physical thing. Mm. Um, we feel it very physically physically. Um, so I, I mean, I do this with my, with my kids, with my clients. I would say move, move in some way. Be aware of what you're, you know, how are you feeling in your body, um, and and dance, you know, and move around and and walk around and yeah, be outside. <laughs> it's okay to be outside right
0: now.
2: <laughs> 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 yes, <Okay>. go outside.
1: <laughs> Very good advice. Yeah, when the pandemic hit, I to be honest with you, I'll be a little personal on the show and say I struggled with some anxiety as well, but. Uh, The Lord really helped me through it. But part of that was I became quite a fitness dude. (laughs) And I just just like running, uh, working out every day, pretty much. And uh, I lost 20 pounds since the pandemic started. (laughs) It's just kind of a latent function of, you know, when you feel your heart beating a little harder, you're like, Yeah, I felt this this morning when I was running. So um, it just kind of helped a little bit, and so that's that's certainly part of it, relying on the Lord. Uh, we need to point people to the hope we have in Christ and not just uh, say that we can do it on our own strength. So there's there's that biblical humility that comes from uh, recognizing our weaknesses and then uh, the call to be strong, but not, not in our own power, um, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us on the show today. It's been amazing to have three of you uh, share your wisdom. Thanks, Jonathan
2: hey thanks for having me great to meet you
1: and thank you aaron
2: oh a pleasure
3: thanks
1: and thanks again jenny
3: thank you so much was so fun
1: and we thank you so much for joining us listeners and viewers once again on the table today please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and we hope to see you again next time here on the table where we discuss issues of god and culture